My name is Pastor Jake. If you're new here, um, I'm the lead pastor. I'll be at the door on your way out. You can introduce yourself to me. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, but I get the privilege and honor to unpack the, the Word of God with you. Um, and you're, I just want to say exciting things are happening at Great Oaks, right? How many of you are excited to be at Great Oaks these days? Yeah, it's exciting what God is doing uh, here and through us. And uh, so you, I just want to say you're in the right place. If you're like, was I, am I in the right place? Yes, you're in the right place. Okay, so thanks uh, for being here. If you have your Bible, uh, you can grab it, head over to Second Chronicles 34. Or you can follow along um, using the screen, using your bulletin. Go to the YouVersion Bible app and click event, and you'll get all of our notes there. But we'll get to Second Chronicles 34 here in a minute. Hey, kids are pretty awesome, right? Especially with, when they're little. Um, I'm a dad of three uh, kids, nine, four, and two, and I love being a dad. I love uh, wrestling with my kids and talking with them and uh, just the whole thing, playing with them. And uh, there's this moment, though, when you're a new dad, when your first kid gets to the point where they can understand you, and they do what you say. Do you remember that moment, moms and dads, where you, they understand you? Some of you are like, they never did what I said. <laughs> but they understand you, and they do what you say, and you're like, whoa, this is, it's that magical, like, in-between moment between infant and attitude. And so it's infant and attitude. And in the middle is this moment where they, they understand, and they obey. They trust. They do what you say. And when you're a new dad, and that happens for the first time, you're like, it's kind of scary. You're like, whoa. Like, I... He, they just did what I said. This kid, my son, hangs on my every word. My daughter follows me around. You know, I, they want to be just like me. I got to watch what I say. I got to watch what I do. There's, there's weight there, right? There, there's weight there. Um, and there should be. Um, there should be. My, ca- my kids have this trust in me. Like, Daddy, Daddy won't lead me astray. If he says it's good and it'll lead to life and joy, then it's good. If he says it's bad and it'll lead to hurt and it'll lead to my joy being taken away from me, then it's bad. He won't lead me astray. My daddy is not going to lead me astray. And I've worked hard to have that voice in my kids' heads. I want that place. I want them to hear my voice and for it to carry weight I want them to listen to my voice over the voice of culture or the voice of other students or peer pressure or the voice of the enemy that would lie to them about who they are and what their worth is. I want my voice to carry more weight than any other on this earth. I want that place. And yet, you, I fight for that place in their hearts and in their minds because while it happens pretty naturally at two... It, you have to fight to, to keep it, right? You have to fight to keep that place. All the parents of teenagers said, let me try again. All the parents of teenagers said, amen, right? Like, of course, it's hard. They're, they don't always obey. They don't always do what you say. You got to fight for that. Kids, though, when they're little are just so trusting before the world beats them into fear and skepticism, it might take some convincing, but when they're little, they'll jump off the side of a pool into the deep end, into your arms, even if it's scary. For my two younger ones, that's, we don't have to convince. They just walk up to the side of a pool and jump in, okay? And it's scary. That's why we put floaties on in the parking lot, all right? <laughs> just a little parenting hack for you there. 
put floaties on in the parking lot. So we don't have to convince the kid. They just jump in, but they'll, they'll do that. Even if they're scared, they'll jump in and, and you can catch them. They'll trust you when you're running next to the bike. You know that moment when you're running next to the bike and you're like out of shape. You're like <gasps> running and they're trying to learn how to ride a bike. And you're like, I'm going to let go. Cause, and they're like, no, don't let go. And you're like, I have to. I'm about to pass out. And you just let them go and then you pass out. And you come to and they're screaming at you because you let them go and they fell. And they'll trust you the second time after the first time didn't go well. They'll trust you the third time after the second time didn't go well, right? There's this trust. There's this trust. Our daughter, Hannah, who's two, she'll parrot anything I say. Like I'll say, Hannah, say I'm daddy's baby. And she'll be like, I'm daddy's baby. And then she'll be like, wait, I'm mama's baby. And we do this back and forth. And just give me time, all right? I'm going to get her, all right? I'll get her. It just takes a couple years, all right? But she's going to be a daddy's girl. Right now she's a mommy's girl, but she'll be a, she'll be a daddy's girl. We go back and forth. Hannah, say, go cowboys. Go cowboys. Hannah, say, I'm not telling you to say it. Just calm down. <laughs> Hannah, say, I love my daddy. I love my daddy. Hannah, say, thank you, Jesus. The latest one we've been working on is don't make me mad. And so I got my two-year-old saying, don't make me mad. But it's hilarious because she's two and she's a girl. So um, you should ask her to say, don't make me mad before, before you leave today. When she's on the couch, my daughter Hannah, or getting down from a chair, or walking down the stairs, or up the stairs, if she starts to fall, she thinks mommy and daddy are going to be there to catch her, even if we're in the other room, right? She just believes we're always going to be there. Like not too long ago, she was on the couch, and one of us was close or something. I don't remember exactly what was happening, but I was watching from afar, so it was the other one that was close. Anyways, um, and they were st- she was standing on the couch, and she just like, she just... She just stepped off, like, I'm just, I'm just doing this thing. Mommy and Daddy are going to catch me, but we weren't even there. But she thought we were going to catch her, and she, bam, coffee table. Don't worry, she's fine. She's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. Kids, young kids at least, are, are so trusting. We, we are in a series called Game Changers where we're learning from the Old Testament account of eight different people um, who God used as game changers in their time, in their nation, uh, in their families, in their community. Big ways. God used them in big ways. They led nations, won battles, performed miracles, and more. And each week we've been kind of zeroing in on one game-changing characteristic that we can try to emulate. So we started in 1260 B.C. uh, with the judge Deborah and her game-changing wisdom. Then we fast-forwarded to 1150 B.C. to talk about Samuel's righteousness. And then it was 1040 B.C., King David's game-changing repentance. And then last week, we were in 900 BC, learning from the prophet Elijah's perseverance. So wisdom, righteousness, repentance, perseverance. If, you ha- if you've had to miss any of those, make sure you get them online or off the website or iTunes. You can answer that. Just go ahead. It's fine. Or, or I can answer it. Who's, you want me to? No? Okay. All right. Um, so today, I want to talk to you about a kids' ministry favorite. King Josiah. Everybody say King Josiah. He is the youngest of our game changers by far. You think your kid's a prodigy because 
they learned to play piano at eight, or you're a prodigy because you learned to take an engine apart at eight. You got nothing on Josiah because at eight years old, Josiah becomes king of Judah. Now, it's been about 250 years since our last game changer, Elijah, and this is during the time of the divided kingdom, which we talked about last week. But what it means is that Israel is split into two. There's been a secession from Israel, and now there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. Judah, the southern kingdom, only has two tribes in it, Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. But if you don't remember from last week, Israel had bad kings from the time of the split on. And so God uh, brought his judgment upon them uh, through the Assyrians coming in in 723 B.C. to exile the people of Israel. They were conquered in 723 B.C. Josiah shows up after that. And so Josiah is in a time when only Judah and Benjamin remain of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ten tribes, 10 out of 12, are no longer uh, in the area they've been exiled and, and conquered and taken captive. Only Judah and Benjamin remain. King Josiah's great-grandfather, King Hezekiah, was a good king who tried to follow after the Lord, but his reign, by the time Josiah starts to reign... It, King Hezekiah's reign is six decades ago. And in between Josiah and his great-grandfather, King Hezekiah, is his grandfather, Manasseh. Manasseh came after Hezekiah and went back to following after all the false gods. And he erected all of the, uh, the high places, the places where false gods were worshipped that Hezekiah had tore down. He went totally the other way. He was evil and he reigned for 55 years, so for a long time, the Israelites, or the, the, the people of Judah, were following after these false gods. And then when he died, his son, Josiah's dad, became king. His name was Ammon, and 2 Kings 21 says that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. But Ammon only reigned two years before he was assassinated. That's why Josiah is so young when he becomes king, and the Bible says unequivocally that King Josiah is a good king. In fact, he's known as the last good king of Judah because after him, not too long after him, the Babylonians come in to Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, and they take into captive the people of Judah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week when we talk about Daniel because he shows up in that era. So all this is happening in 2 Chronicles 34 and 2 Kings 22, and, the, and God needs a game changer. He needs somebody to come in and to change things, to set the nation right, following after him. So wars, evil, assassination, betrayal, idol worship. Sounds like a great job for an eight-year-old, right? I mean, it's just a great time for an eight-year-old to be a king, and yet he turns things around. Look at 2 Chronicles 34 with me. Verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the, side, in the eyes of the Lord and walked 
in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. So when Josiah is still a boy, only 16 years old, he begins to seek the God of David. He wasn't raised knowing God, right? His father and his grandfather were evil, but, but when he's 16, he gives his life over to God, and he begins, he begins to serve him. He begins to seek him. Then before he's 20, he starts to realize that things, don't, things aren't going where God wants him to go in Judah, and so he starts to take action, and he starts to follow his great-grandfather's um, ways, King Hezekiah, and he tears down the high places and the altars. And the Bible says that he takes a group of men out and they just rip down these altars and they cast out the false priests. And he's direct and he's in your face, King Josiah. And he's thorough, he's bold. He makes this decision at a very young age, very young age, that he's not going to do this halfway, right? He's not going to be half in, half out. He's not going to say he loves the Lord and not stand for righteousness. He's not going to say that he's on God's side and then turn a blind eye to all the evil going on in the kingdom of Judah. And this isn't even what King Josiah is most famous for. We'll get to that in a second. Let me just stop right here and, and just talk to parents for a second. Josiah was eight when he became king. So between eight and 16, God was wooing him. And he began to understand. And he began to see that there's something bigger than him going on here. That there's something deeper than him going on here. Between eight and 16 years old, he began to see that his father and his father's father had led the nation away from God. And that was not the way he wanted to go. He began to see that they had been misled, deceived. They had made some mistakes. And he made a life-transforming decision to follow after God with all of his heart. As a boy, as a kid, he did this. So parents, let me plead with you for a second. Please, do everything you can do to give your kids, the little souls that you've been given to shepherd, do everything that you can possibly do to lead them to Jesus at the earliest age possible. Listen, there is no too early for unpacking the truths of God to your children. There is no too early. Are you with me? There's no too early. Read it over them when they're still in the womb. Read it over them when they're infants, the word of God. Get Bible story books that they'll be able to engage with. Get, get them to Kidstown every single week without fail. Get them to youth, Project 56, Breakaway, Culture Shift, every single week without fail. Send them to Kids Camp every year without fail. As soon as they can read, get them a Bible they can understand and make 
make sure they're reading it every night or every morning when you're reading your Bible. Talk about the Word with them at dinner. Put memory verses on the walls. Ask them what the Lord is doing in their life, what the Lord is teaching them. Have them pray over you when you're sick. Pray over them when they're sick. Pray for every math test, every skinned knee, every breakup. Pray for the dog. Just pray. Just pray. Pray to God about everything. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm getting through to you. I don't know if I got enough specific examples for you today. Watch Bible videos. Draw lines uh, for them in your life that demonstrate your family's devotion to Christ. Lines around church attendance. Lines around family devotion time. Lines around modesty. Lines around whatever it is, truth that flies in the face of lies of our culture. Talk to them about how much Jesus loves them before you put them to bed. And when you wake up in the morning, say, God's mercies are new every morning. Isn't that awesome? I don't know if I'm getting through to you. When you see something beautiful, a mountain, a sunset, the ocean, a 16-ounce ribeye. (laughs) Point that beauty back to God. Say, isn't God awesome that he would make this? Like, isn't God amazing that he made this taste up? Isn't he amazing that he created the sunset? Isn't he awesome? Parents, if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else, if you don't get your kids into pro football or pro basketball or the athletic scholarship, if you do nothing else, even if your kids are doing things that are different than other kids, if you do nothing else, even if your family looks a lot different and maybe even strange compared to other families in our area if you do nothing else teach them the ways and the love and the truth of the Lord at the earliest age possible from every angle possible as much as possible in action and in word. There is no other job. This is your job as parent. I don't know what you think your job is, but this is, this is it. This is the only job that matters. Lead them to the love and truth of Christ at the earliest age possible. Don't miss this. If you need help, actually it's not if, it's when, right? Because we all need help with this. When you need help, we'd love to help you. We'd love to help you. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about this. You couldn't tell? Okay. We're passionate about this at Great Oaks. We'd love to help you. Talk to me. Talk to one of our other pastors, our student ministry pastors, or our kids' pastors. Talk to them. Josiah was eight when he became king. At 16, he made a huge, life-changing decision to seek after the God of David, the one true God. And that decision was more than words. That's what makes Josiah the game-changer he is. It's not just words. It's actions. It's actions. 
You see, Josiah had this game-changing obedience. It wasn't just belief to him. It was behavior. It wasn't just something he said. It was something he did. If God was real, if his ancestor David was right about who this creator God is, then the only response is to give him everything and to obey his every word, Josiah thought. Complete obedience. Game-changing obedience. Let me show you something Josiah does that really illustrates this best. Josiah's Next act of obedience is to repair, clean out, and repair the temple of the Lord. You see, because of the last two evil kings, the temple of the Lord had been left in disrepair. In fact, it had been allowed to, for, for false gods to be worshipped in the temple of Yahweh. And, and even temple prostitutes of false religions had got in there and, and taken up residence. And so he sent some people, King Josiah did, to clean it out, to, to kick those people out, to repair it, to, to reinstitute what the temple was supposed to do. And so he had them driven out and the temple repaired. And as that was happening, this happens. It's Second Chronicles 34, starting in verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found, found the book of the law of the Lord given to Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book And Shaphan read from it before the king. So they're cleaning out the temple, and they find the book of the law. Think about that. They lost the book of the law, the Torah, the Bible, the word of God. They lost it. This is crazy to me. But it's not that crazy, right? I mean, don't. Some of us in this room have the same story. Our great, great, great grandparents were godly people who followed the Lord, who committed their lives to Christ, who followed in obedience, who lived a Christ-like life. But then somewhere along the way, in one generation or another, there was a decision made to leave the way of the Lord, to leave the truth of the Lord, to forsake the Jesus they had been following and to follow after their own desires or some other false God. And when that happens, the next generation grows up without the knowledge of the Lord, without the understanding that there is a Jesus who loves them, that there is a Bible that holds truth. Some of you know what I'm talking about because this is your story. Maybe you're just now realizing the truth of the gospel that's been absent in your life. Like Josiah finding the book of the law, your eyes have been opened. You're finding this treasure buried in the confusion and the busyness and the lies that surround you. Maybe you've known the truth of God for a long time and you've followed after him for decades, but you didn't grow up that way. It wasn't in your house. You see, you've got the same story. 
But this isn't Josiah's fault, is it? I mean, he didn't make a decision to forsake the Lord and toss the Torah out, did he? Whose fault is this? It's his father's fault. And his father's father's fault, right? They're the ones who tossed the word of the Lord out and left Josiah without the truth. It's their parents' fault. I was at a family Christmas dinner not too long ago, a few years ago, and we were gathering up all the kids and everybody into a room to read Luke 2. I was going to read Luke 2 to talk about Jesus' birth. And I said that. We're going to read and talk about Jesus' birth. And one of, the, one of the family, one of the cousins said, who is Jesus? And her dad said, come on. You know who Jesus is? You know who Jesus Come on, you know who Jesus is. But she didn't wasn't her fault she didn't know who Jesus is. How are they going to know if we don't teach them? That's the question I want you to think about. Let me say it this way. How will your kids know that truth, love, and life are found in Christ alone unless you tell them? If you don't tell them, how are they going to know? Josiah had never seen the Bible, the book of the law. He'd never seen it. He, he couldn't have game-changing obedience to all of its commands because he hadn't yet read it. He didn't even know they existed. Your kids, the next generation of our nation, our world, they will know the truth because we tell them the truth or they won't know the truth because we fail to. That's the way it works. From generation to generation to generation and beyond. If you look at your kids right now and they don't know Jesus, they don't know how to pray. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know good from evil. They don't have the right priorities. They don't know how to be pure. They don't know how to deal with stress in a godly way. They don't know how to cook that 16-ounce steak I was just talking about. That's on you, right? I mean, let's just be honest. That's on us as parents and grandparents, isn't it? I mean, who else can we blame for this? That's on you as their parents and grandparents. You can't control whether, whether or not they accept the truth as adults, but you can make sure they know it as kids. Maybe that's a tough truth, but I, I do think it's true. Here's the good news, though. If you have breath in your lungs, there's still time. You, I don't know what you did as a parent or a grandparent or what you forgot to do or whatever. Priorities were out of whack. I don't know what you did, but I know this. That if there's breath in your lungs, there's still time. We serve a God who can make things different, who can make things new, who can make up for a ton of mistakes that we make as parents. Amen? That's the good news. So what I'm saying is that no matter how old your kids are, if they're 2 or 20 or 40 or you've got grandkids or whatever, no matter if you've never done this before or, or you've done it a little bit or whatever, bring out the book of the law, dust it off, open up the word of God and begin to unpack the truths and the glory of Christ to your kids right now. 
Don't do it tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next year. Don't wait till you mull this over. Grab the book of the law, dust it off, open it, and start to teach it to your kids and your grandkids. That's what Josiah did. Look at verse 19. And when the king, King Josiah, heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. What happens next is a prophetess named Huldah tells the king that Judah will be destroyed for the sins of his fathers no matter what he does, but that God will give him grace during his reign as king because of his obedience. So his generation will be spared. Look at verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words, all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood on in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. There's more to Josiah that you can read this week on your own time if you haven't already, but What hallmarked his reign as king, in my mind, is his game-changing obedience. He went from knowing nothing to radically pursuing the commands of God, didn't he? I mean, it was this crazy transformation. Did you hear what just got said? He read the book of the covenant to everybody, all of it. Some of you guys get kind of squirmy when we get to like 45 minutes. He read the whole book of the law. Some of you, you're like, I, I ask you to read for next week, and it's like five chapters. And you're like, I can't do that. He read the whole book of the law, the whole book of the covenant. And then he said, I will keep the commands. He said, I will perform the words of this covenant. Not, not I'm, I'll make sure I read it every day. Not I'll study it really well. Not I'll go to five Bible studies and really look at deep Bible studies, God. Not shallow ones like that one over there. But mine is deep. Not that. He said, I'll do it. Not I'll listen to a sermon podcast and read Christian books. No, it was I'll do it. I'll actually do it. I'll obey the commands. I mean, some of us, We're Bible study junkies, aren't we? I mean, our heads are getting so full of knowledge. We're like Christian bobblehead dolls. Just walking around like, oh, look at me, I know all this stuff. But doing nothing. Applying almost none of it. No one's actually doing it. We walk by the poor in order to go 
to a Bible study where we're going to study about how God's word says to take care of the poor. We drive out of our driveway next, right by five houses, five neighbors of people that we don't know. We haven't made an intentional effort to get to know and share the gospel with. We're going to drive right by them on our way to a Bible study to talk about evangelism. Reaching lost people for Jesus. It's ridiculous, isn't it? You don't need another study. You need to apply what you've already been taught. You need to apply the scripture you're reading every day, the lessons you're taught here every week. Listen, if we did that, I mean, think about that. If we actually obeyed what we already know, if we actually applied what we already know, wouldn't we change the world? I mean, wouldn't the world just be transformed because of that game-changing obedience? I heard a pastor say this one time, use this illustration. I planned to use it uh, when I wrote this a couple weeks ago, but then this last week I heard it used again. I don't know who actually came up with it. It might be one of those illustrations that pastors just use over and over and over. But imagine this, that my daughter Kennedy, who's nine, imagine I told her to go clean her room. Have you ever told your kid to clean your room? I mean, to clean your room, not her room. I'm kidding. To clean her room, right? To told her to go clean my, or clean her room. I can't get that right. Um, imagine I told her that, and then a, a, a day later, I asked when I came home from work, hey, Kennedy, did you clean your room? And she goes, oh, Dad, I'm glad you asked me that. Gosh, I've been thinking a lot about what you said. I've been thinking a lot about what you said. It was so awesome, like how you said it, when you said, Kennedy, comma, go clean your room exclamation point. That was awesome. How you said that was amazing. And, and dad, I want you to know that I gathered some of my friends together and we've been talking about what you said. And dad, did you know that in Greek and Hebrew that go clean your room means make your room clean? Did you know that dad? Oh, and dad, best part. I just wrote a song about this about how great it would be if we would just clean our rooms. What do I want to know? Did you clean your room or not? Did you clean your room? Did you do it? Did you obey? That's great, but did you clean your room? Aren't we this way with God? That we've got all these commands and we're like, we'll study them and we'll put them on the wall. We'll wear t-shirts and we'll sing songs about them. And I think God sometimes is just going, yeah, but are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Because you've got all this content and all this great stuff and more than we could, we've ever had in any other generation ever. And he's going, are you going to do it though? Josiah had this game-changing obedience. As soon as he heard the word of the Lord, he did it. He carried it out. I want to throw out to you three things, quick things about obedience as we close. Not as we close. I shouldn't have said that. It means nothing. Okay, so three quick things about obedience uh, that you can think about today. First of all, 
Josiah, I'm, I'm going to run through these quick, so don't try, to, don't try to look at all the scriptures. I shouldn't have said that. Now that all the type A people are like, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to do it. Um, you're not going to do it. So he was eight when he became king of Judah, and he never seemed to waver in his childlike obedience. So in Mark 10, Jesus said this. It's on the screen. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a what? child shall not enter it. And then there's this 1 Peter 1 verse. Check it out. It says this. You can study it on your own this week. Read those first three words with me. As what? Obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your what? Conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As obedient children, be holy in all your conduct. When I tell my two-year-old Hannah to do something, she just does it. No question. She just does it. She'll step off the deep end of the pool if I say I'm there to catch her. She'll let, she'll, my older kids will let me let go of their bike if I say it's going to be okay. I can only do that a couple times. You know, Then they don't believe me anymore. But it's childlike obedience. But why? Here's what I want you to kind of connect in your, in your mind. It's trust, isn't it? Why, why do they obey? It's because they trust. Childlike obedience comes from childlike what? Trust. Trust. And the opposite is true too. Disobedience comes from distrust. So our obedience to the word of the Lord reveals our trust in him. Our disobedience, on the other side of that, reveals our distrust of him. So maybe it's not about obedience for you. Maybe it's about trust. Maybe you need to ask the Lord, do I actually trust you? Can you help me trust you? And here's another parenting tip. If you've got a disobedient kid, possibly it's not about obedience as much as it is about what? Trust. Trust. Something to think about. Maybe it's trust. Childlike obedience, like Josiah's, comes from childlike trust. Another thing about obedience to think about today. At 8 and 16 years old, Josiah didn't know much, did he? He didn't have the law, and yet he obeyed. At 20, he didn't have the book of the law, but he knew God did not want his people to worship false gods. And so he took down the high places. He obeyed. He took down the altars to false God. So here's, here's what I want you to hear. You don't have to know everything to be obedient. Obedience is acting on what you already know immediately. Tracking with me? Some of us are like, well, I just don't know enough yet. What do you know? The question is, what do I know? What do I know God is telling me and every other Christ follower to do through his word? Am I doing those things that I already know God is telling me to do and seeking to understand more of his commands along the way? You don't have to know everything to be obedient. And then there's one last thing I want you to think about in regards to obedience. I'm going to jump through three scriptures pretty quick. They'll be on the screen. It's Romans 1.5, the Apostle Paul opening his letter to the church in Rome. He's explaining what his purpose is, why he's doing what he's doing, why he's an apostle, and he says this, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the what? Obedience of faith. Faith and obedience go together. For the sake of his name among the nations. The NLT says that so people would believe and obey. The message has it as obedient trust, which I, I love that phrase, obedient trust. Look at John 14, 15. You've heard this one. 
If you love me, Jesus is saying, you will what? Keep my commandments. Not the most popular verse in our time, right? Like we want the God of love without his commandments. Right? We don't want to have to, want to love him without keeping his commandments. But Jesus says, no, if you love me, this is actually how you show me is by doing what I say. Because you trust me, you trust that I want your joy and, and my glory. And so you do it. That's John 14. One more. Look at James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is going, if you see someone who's about to die of exposure or starvation, and you go, hey, I really hope you find a jacket as you put your jacket on, and you go, man, I really hope you get something to eat as you eat a Big Mac. You go, I'll pray for you, and you leave. James is going, that is not faith. Faith without works, without obedience to the commands of God is dead. It's non-existent. There is no such thing as faith without obedience. Romans 1, John 14, James 2, just three examples. There are a lot more. The Bible seems to scream this, that true faith always ends in obedience. True faith always ends in obedience. So obedience to God, that flows out of trust. You don't have to know everything to be obedient, but true faith always ends in obedience. Josiah, this eight-year-old king, had this figured out. He obeyed time and time again. He obeyed. He didn't matter what the consequences were. It didn't matter what people would think. It didn't matter who would come against him or what, what would happen. He, he just obeyed. He obeyed. Game-changing obedience to the word of the Lord. So, what about you? What about me? Listen, we don't have to look very far to find the word of the Lord. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your Kindle. You can get it at Walmart, right? We don't have to search for it. It's everywhere. We can find the word of the Lord very, very easily. Josiah didn't even know it existed in the beginning. You and me, not so much. So what's our excuse for not obeying it? What's our excuse for not passing on its truth to the next generation, to our kids and their kids? So that we don't create a generation like Josiah's that have to dig through a bunch of evil, idolatry, foolishness, trinkets that we've amassed in our greed and our materialism just to find God's word and its truth. So, do you want to be a game changer for your marriage, your kids, your neighbors, your community, your church? What's stopping you? I submit to you that maybe it's just good old-fashioned obedience. Doing what you already know God wants you to do. Maybe you need to ask God, to help you find the game-changing obedience of Josiah. 
That's Josiah. Next week in our Game Changer series, Daniel. You can read the book of Daniel to get an idea of where we're going next week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Pray that whatever is of you would stick with us and haunt us this week, but whatever is of Jake would go away and be easily forgotten. Pray, God, that you would lead us, that the takeaway would be us being honest with ourselves and asking the question, am I obedient to what I already know God wants me to do and to be? Am I obedient to that? Before I find out other things, before I study other things, am I obedient to what I've already been shown in God's word? Let us be honest to that. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who have not yet taken a step of obedience. I pray that right now they would take that first step. They have all the knowledge they need, but they've they've got doubts and questions and it's held them back and they don't understand everything, but they know the basics and, and, and they just need to take a step of obedience. We trust you in this. We ask for your help, God. Let us not be a church full of knowledge, but lacking action. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? There's going to be prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you. If you haven't given your life over to Christ and taken that first step of obedience, make sure you talk to one of them before you leave and sign up for baptism coming up on Easter. Here's my prayer for you. May you be challenged today not to know more or discover more, but to obey more. May you be honest with yourself and ask the Lord to help you find the obedience of Josiah. And may you become the game changer. Your family, your community, and your world needs you to be. Make sure you go to a life group this week and talk this over. Stop at Connection Central on your way out if you're not in a life group. And then as always, just like you've been helped today to take your next step towards God, don't let it stop with you. Open the scriptures to 2 Chronicles 34. Talk to somebody, a family member, a Christian, a non-Christian. Talk to them about this idea of obedience this week. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless you. We're going to sing this song together. If you're in a hurry, you can go ahead and sneak out. God bless.